interest rates, inflation, and fourth quarter prospects. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Got a good show planned for you in the next hour. We're going to talk about business succession or business sales. It's complicated, and we've got the teams built to help. So we're going to go over that. Ask Annex is on the way. And then toward the end of the show, five things that are going to challenge you in the first 10 years of retirement. Our job gets you ready for those challenges. That and a whole lot more. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky in the studio. He's our chief investment officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Joined on the line by Dave Spano, our president and CEO. Welcome to you, Dave. Yeah, thank you. And of course, September is as billed. Another lousy month and really not a great quarter either, Derek. But this is something that we talked about You called it seasonality last time we spoke. Right. I mean, we saw small caps down roughly 5.5% for the quarter, the S&P down a little over 3%, and the NASDAQ down 5 And essentially, the seasonality progression has played out for the most part this year. And and the good news is seasonality would suggest the fourth quarter with an S&P 500 up more than 10% for the year is uh, leaning to the positive side. And we'll see how that goes, particularly as we approach earnings season. Yeah, that's right. Earnings season coming up. But before we get to that, we got what's called a PCE number, and that is the preferred indicator by the Fed for inflation. It's a number that they actually liked. Right. It was uh, below 4% on a year-on-year basis for the first time in two years. Uh, The Fed continues to be hawkish about what their expectations are for interest rates, but again, they continue to talk about being data-dependent. And with this uh, potential government shutdown, one of the things that could happen is they won't have the the data that they normally would have, which some people believe would reduce the likelihood of of a November rate hike. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, really all the things that they have to look at. And, of course, they look at inflation. That is an indicator. And then you mentioned two pieces of information here. Number one is a potential government shutdown, and that news is continuing to come in as we speak. And, of course, the UAW tells us, at least through the Wall Street Journal, that they're going to step up their strikes. Both of those things could slow down the economy. Absolutely. We really have a mixed bag going forward, and I think you know the fourth quarter is really going to be all about interest rates and inflation because, as David Tepper, a noted uh, hedge fund manager, said today, you know the competition for equities is pretty severe. He bought a six-month CD that yielded over six percent. He talked about the transition from an environment of quantitative easing to quantitative tightening and what the impact uh, is on earnings multiples. So it's going to be a you know touch and go this in, at the beginning of the month, and it's typically October can be volatile. So uh, we're prepared opportunistically to add duration and equity exposure at the right time. So, so let's put a little light on what uh, David Tepper was saying: the move from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. It sounds like a a lot of economic mumble jumble, but really what it means is the fact that for almost 14 years, the federal government, especially the Federal Reserve, was keeping interest rates abnormally low. That's quantitative easing. And now they've taken that governor away, if you will, and interest rates have risen dramatically up to 5.5% uh, in a short amount of time. So what that does is it puts pressure on equity prices and bond prices. Right, and it, and it has the most impact on faster-growing companies and companies that, that make no money because essentially the ones that make no money are forced to refinance at higher rates, which is why we watch the default ratio so closely. Uh, beyond that point, um, the valuations of the S&P 500, the most of the stocks, the 493 that essentially have done little to nothing this year, trading it about 15 times. But when you add in the big seven, that, that number jumps all the way up to 19 times. So either the multiples on those big stocks have to come in or the multiples on the smaller stocks have to expand. 
Now, let's talk about one more thing. The government shutdown, potential government shutdown. And, you know, the market seems to be taking that in stride, which is a bit surprising because of all the consternation that you read in the newspapers. Well, in the past, these shutdowns haven't really had any prolonged impact on equity prices. And ultimately, some could take the glasses half full approach and said any agreement will be a positive and reduce uncertainty. And, and, and typically in the fourth quarter, there is a, a pronounced bias to the upside, particularly in years in which the markets are up going into that. So we're going to watch earnings seasons because right now for the first time in a couple of quarters, we're expecting to see earnings growth, I mean, of about 2%. But if you X out energy, which actually is showing negative year-on-year comparisons, the number is closer to 7 So a much better uh, forecast than what we saw in the last couple of quarters. And stick around. We're going to talk about earnings in just a moment. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only fiduciary. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We want to do it for you. It all starts at our website, AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. That is our Week in Review, always available as a podcast, delivered Sundays in our Axiom newsletter. We're going to be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. A couple of things you can do on the weekend. Axiom, that's our free weekly newsletter. We're on social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Great YouTube channel. Bunch of videos, all done by Annex Wealth Management. Highly searchable. If you're looking for a particular topic, got uh, a great podcast, the SWAT podcast, that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats every Monday morning from the Annex Wealth Management investment team. It's pretty high-level stuff, but if you like that, it is there for you. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer in the studio. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. I just had a client who lives in Santa Monica, California, take a picture of the gas pump, $7 a gallon, and to fill the thing up was really, they had to take out a second mortgage. But if you've been filling up your gas tank, you're feeling it as well. But Derek, you know, you're talking about higher oil prices hovering around $100 a barrel. You know, the consumer is going to start to feel this. Right. And in Q3, crude oil was up 32%. So, you know, and that was something we, we kind of expected. We've held energy stocks as a tactical position for a long time. We like the free cash flow when we felt that with inventory so low, the strategic petroleum reserve at its lowest levels in over 30 years, that there's going to be a supply-related constraint. That's partly due to the Ukraine-Russia war. That's agreements between Saudi Arabia Russia and China. Uh, so there, there are lots of positive factors for energy prices, but the U.S. consumer is really not as exposed to energy prices as they have been in the past, although at the, at the margin, it certainly is a tax site for consumers. And you talk about a tax hike, it's really an inflationary item as well. And that's the reason why we bring it up is because the Federal Reserve is going to have to look at it. And even though their PCE number, their preferred uh, inflation number has come down, it does not include food and energy. And so you think about the everyday man, when they go to the grocery store and they go fill up their pump, they're still going to pay a higher number. And that's the reason why we need to pay attention to it, because what is the Fed going to do? if inflation stays higher. Well, they're in, a, they're in a tricky spot. I mean, we've talked about them on the show for, for years. And, you know, oftentimes we, we accuse them of looking in the, with the rearview mirror. And right now, you know, I would argue that there really isn't a need for further rate hikes, particularly if you're reducing the size of your balance sheet. That's tightening in and of itself. And what you don't want to do is continue to tighten until you break something unnecessarily and cause, you know, an unnecessarily rise in unemployment or other dislocations right. that they've done in the past. 
And you talk about their balance sheet. They've taken it from $9 trillion down to $8 trillion, and the conversation is going to try to take it down to $7 trillion. But let's not talk about oil and change the gears. And we are really talking about earnings at this point, and we're expecting some really good numbers coming into the fourth quarter because of the earnings comparisons have been better. Right. It, well, with the exception of energy. Energy is phasing very tough comparisons from a year ago when oil prices were, were at roughly the same levels. But Consumer discretionary and communications are expected to be the strongest growers during the reporting season. And right now, the expectation is for roughly 2% earnings growth in the quarter. Uh, we expect that number probably to be better than that. I mean, we do have a GDP that is forecast to have grown anywhere from 3 to 4% in Q3. And it's hard to imagine that companies wouldn't do well in that environment. So you think about really what we're going to look at as we go into the fourth quarter. If we are at the end of the rate hiking schedule and earnings look better, there is room for optimism despite this wall of worry that we see all the time. Right, absolutely. In fact, you know, people talk about the inverted yield curve. And I look back, Ned, De- Ned Davis Research, it's one of our uh, third-party providers, did something interesting on uh, on a bear steepener. What a bear steepener is is when long rates go up faster than short-term rates go up. And that's what's been happening recently. And while everyone talks about an inversion as being negative for stocks, Stocks have actually done pretty well during periods like that, like that, because essentially the reason it's happening is the economy is better than forecast. That's why interest rates in the long end have been rising and why the Fed continues to hold rates higher for longer. And that's the reason why you have to know what's in your portfolio. And you hear me pound the table on that. But some sectors have done really well year to date and some have not. And those are the things that we want to highlight. And that's what you'll see when we give you a wealth metric. It's a deliverable that you can take a look at and see how your portfolio is positioned and what we suggest it should look like. We'd love to meet you right where you're at, and that's why we built Annex Wealth Management on a couple of different platforms, depending upon where you are in your in your cycle. Annex Ignite, if you're just starting out, this is a fantastic thing for young college students who are out and now employed young professionals as well. Annex Comprehensive Wealth is just a tremendous offering that we've got. And then Annex Private Client. When your needs are a little bit more complex and you have a high net worth, we'd love to work with you there. If you're a business owner, by the way, you have poured blood, sweat, and tears into your operation. What happens when it's time to sell? We've got some thoughts. We're going to share them after a break. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? We provide comprehensive investment and retirement planning tailored to our clients' needs. And that ranges from people starting out with Annex Ignite all the way through Annex Private Client and everything in between. Joining me, several members of the Annex team. Let's welcome back Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client. Welcome. Danny. Also with us, Amy Kiskala, Wealth Strategist and Estate Planning Attorney. Hey, Amy. Hi, Danny. Amy, you are an asset with your background in legacy planning. You're also an attorney, and that comes in really handy with what we're about to talk about, and that is business succession planning, which seems more thoughtful than somebody just up and selling a business. Without sharing too much detail, can you describe some of the types of business succession planning that you've seen over your career? Well, you know, Danny, it is a true fact that 100% of business owners will exit their business at some point. 
that business succession can take a lot of different flavors. Sometimes it's a sale to a third party, maybe an individual, or we've seen a lot of activity in the private equity space in the last few years. Sometimes you're transitioning to employees, key employees, or an employee stock ownership plan. And and that it's a whole other level of complexity with a family business when your family businesses are looking at all the ways to transition that business down to the next generation. I've never heard the 100% stat, but you are right. You know, statistics aren't always correct, but that one is. Brandon, as director of Annex Private Client, you work with clients who are also business owners. And as we work with them, I imagine they might share a business transition as part of the plan. As Amy said, it's 100%, right? That's the time that we put the entire Annex team to work for them. Who is jumping on board? Who? What are the teammates that are working on this? Yeah, obviously, Amy is incredibly involved in that. We look at a, a lot of our other wealth strategists, the tax team, the investment team, because that becomes a part of the discussion. On, But that's, I would say that's a little later. The original planning, that's the financial planning team and the wealth strategist. That's going to be your tax team. And then Amy and the estate planning team taking a really good look at this and what it's going to mean. But we also bring in outside partners. And what we mean by that is we're not here to replace their estate planning attorneys, their business attorneys, their accountants, but we start to coordinate everybody and have those discussions. What does it look like? What does it mean? How is it going to impact you? We're dealing with one currently right now in a situation where it's like, what is the best path forward? And we lay out the options. We say, this is what we see. But the hardest thing for these folks to do is realize that they are about to monetize something that they poured their entire life into, and it's going to completely change the picture. So that's where these different teammates that we have at Annex come into play because it's giving their advice, their opinion that we see and how it impacts them and what we can do to move forward. We're talking about business succession planning, joined by Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client. Amy Kiskala is a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex. Amy, thinking back, some of these transitions you've helped guide over your career, there are challenges. What types of challenges? What do you see people encounter as they go down this road? There are a lot of challenges, a lot of moving pieces when putting the plan together. And that's why, you know, Brand is absolutely right. You need to bring a whole team of experts together to look at all of the issues. You know, a lot of the challenges really focus around how do you set everybody up for success post-transition? So from the business perspective, how are you maximizing the value to make it as attractive as possible for that buyer? Are you considering what the management structure will look like? A lot of these business owners have been such key people in the business that you really have to think about, have we you know, positioned the key people that are going to be important through the transition and even after the transition? From the business owner standpoint, Brandon, you talked about monetizing the business. That's a real challenge, conversations that we have with business owners. What type of income do you want or need after this transition to support the lifestyle you want? And what will life look like? Are you sailing into retirement or are you looking for a new business endeavor? And then we consider the family as well. Are there spouses, family members that have been involved in the business or somehow might be impacted by the planning? Is this a process that takes several years to complete? It can be a short process, right? We've ran into a situation where the right buyer came to somebody and they said, yes, great deal. The offer is put on the table and we started running immediately. But in reality, I'd say the vast majority of the time, this is a long-term process. There's a lot of conversations. There's a lot of opportunities that come forward, a lot of discussion with not just us, but accountants, attorneys, and then those looking to come in. Because sometimes kids just don't want to be a part of this. And those are discussions where they want to stay at the business, but they don't want to be an owner. 
and now we have to work through that dynamic of you're no longer working for family, you're working for somebody else, but you're still there. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, I think good rule of thumb is, you know, people say maybe about five years before you're planning on exit, really get serious about the planning. And it's never too early to start. The worst exit plan is when somebody dies before they've even thought about what that succession is going to look like. I guess one thing to anticipate is a sudden influx of personal capital after a transition. We're ready to help with that. Yeah, and that's where the investment team and I, that monetization of a business becomes so important is they have a lifestyle that they've grown accustomed to. And maybe it's because it's taken 25 years years, 30 years, they built this incredibly successful business that generates a great amount of income. How do we take the assets that just came in and after paying all the taxes, because yes, you'll have to pay taxes, do we recreate as best as we can that solution? Or as Amy alluded to, a lot of business owners go back out and try and start another business or they, they already have another business they're involved in. They get wrapped up in that and then they grow it because they were successful once. A lot of times they're going to be very successful again. Amy Kiskala, wealth strategist, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. And Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client. Thank you. Danny. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday the 30th, bottom of the hour. Let's get caught up and go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, always click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. In the studio, Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex. Welcome. Hi, Danny. And Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager. Welcome. Hey, Danny. First up, recently my company stopped matching our 401k contributions. I'm looking for some information on possibly next move. Doesn't look like the 401k match is returning. Is there another product to move that 401k to that I can start putting monthly deposit into? Well, there's no law that says you have to move your 401k. You could keep it there. And there's something to be said about just that ease of having that pre-tax money come right out of your paycheck to go into your 401k. If you no longer wanted to contribute to your 401k, you have some other options. You can contribute to an individual IRA. You can also look in to see if you're eligible for a health savings account. Now that's pre-tax, grows tax deferred, and comes out tax deferred for qualified medical expenses. But we talk a lot on this show about also the tax diversification. So there's nothing wrong with even if you wanted to start, you know, not contributing to a qualified account, but a non-qualified account. If you wanted to start putting a certain amount every month into an individual taxable account, that'll give you some tax diversification later on. You can withdraw that money before 59 and a half, and it also give you some spending flexibility later on in life when you're retired. Yeah, I think that's why financial planning is so important and looking at what your overall plan is for a decision like this. When they're not matching your 401k contributions, that does take away some of the advantage of, of using that account because you're not getting that free money anymore. Like Sarah, you mentioned just that ease of having that money coming out of your paycheck every single time really trumps a lot of the other things because if you have to do it yourself, you might not you might decide, hey, this month I'm going to buy something else. Or maybe your spending starts to go up because your paycheck's bigger and you don't have that money going automatically there. But it does allow for a lot of that extra freedom. Like you said, the HSAs, which are incredibly powerful. We've talked about that in the past on, on Ask Annex of how great an HSA plan is, especially if when you can invest it, changing that tax diversification as well. But that's why I think meeting with somebody like Annex and looking through your financial plan and really seeing what's the best way for you to save, that's going to help you long term is, is what you're going to want to look at. Talk about that ease of putting it in the 401k. It's almost like if you don't see it, you won't spend it. Exactly. Next up, what are the strongest sectors within the S&P 500 and how cyclical are they? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and as the market's moving this year, we, we've seen a, a big difference between the first month or so of the year. Then there was a big stretch where tech and consumer discretionary really ran on the back of NVIDIA and the AI boom and some of the changes in terms of what the Fed did around switching from quantitative tightening to having to flush some money into the system. So a lot of those sectors took off. You know, when we look at it so far year to date and, and trying to look at mostly the cyclical side, which is basically what's the most sensitive to the economic cycle, technology is up 31% or so at this point. Point. That's the number one sector. Some of the more other cyclical areas, you're looking at industrials. That's the third best performer in the S&P 500 so far from a sector standpoint. So you're seeing some of those stronger ones be there. That's kind of the areas that I would watch out for is they've done really well because there's been a backdrop of the soft landing. And that's kind of what people have been kind of pushing their investments into is this belief that we're going to get that. If we do get the choppiness that we've seen over the last month and that continues, you're going to see a lot of those areas start to pull back though. So that's what I would watch for is do we really get that soft landing? How comfortable? are you in that and then whether or not you want to take that ride with it or not. Talking about cycles, I mean, if you t- ever have taken a look at that Callan chart, which shows how stocks and sectors have performed throughout the different years, sometimes that best performer in one year is going to be the worst performer in the next year. Look at tech last year at the end of the year, it was one of the worst performers. It's one of the best performers this year. So just want to make sure you're very diversified. Yeah, you certainly want to have that. And even within some of those sectors, they might be classified as cyclical when something like Morningstar or Facts That are Bloomberg takes a look at it. But there's going to be companies that are going to be all over that map that fit within those. So that's why stock picking as well is, is really important when you're trying to do that. You might not necessarily want that full sector when you're looking at it. Final question on Ask Annex. My newly graduated and now gainfully employed son is serious about saving and investing. He's active in the 401k at work, but wants to, quote, take the next step. I'm unsure what that should be. I don't want him to start with individual stocks where he could lose significantly by chasing headlines. What's the next step after 401ks? ETF? Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, certainly individual stocks pose additional risk. You really want to know what you're getting yourself into when you're buying an individual stock because you're losing that diversification benefit you have with an ETF or a mutual fund. You still have that same risk when you're looking at sectors as we were just talking about. Technology was the worst sector last year. It's the best sector this year. Those things can move around quite a bit. But you want to make sure you're comfortable in what you're doing. I would, you know, if I'm that person, I want to make sure I know what I'm doing within that 401k. I don't want to duplicate that someplace outside of it, but certainly things like ETFs, mutual funds, sitting down with somebody who can walk you through what your portfolio looks like, help you with managing what that risk level is, and maybe even doing it for you is really a good option. When you don't have that large balance at the beginning and when you're starting to contribute to that taxable account, ETFs are a great way to get that diversification. So just use that until that account grows. Some people use the rule of thumb of $10,000 and then they can start diversifying. But you have to have that balance in order to be able to get full diversification via stocks before you start investing in individual stocks. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks. You're welcome, Danny. Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager. Thanks. Thank you. What are five challenges you might encounter in the first 10 years of retirement? Stick around. We'll talk about them next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Amy Bremer, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. You know, in life, we like to think it's about the journey more than the destination. But with retirement planning, that's the destination. We want it to be what you desire. But you're also smart enough to know that once you pass one finish line, there are other challenges. And there will be challenges in the first 10 years of retirement. And I can all sense the currently retired folks that are listening are nodding in agreement. Amy, you have guided clients to retirement. But at that point, none of us are done. 
No, retirement's actually kind of the starting line, actually. We're going to talk about challenges you might encounter. One might be managing cash flow. And Amy, some people might say, hey, listen, I did just fine when I was getting a paycheck. What's the difference? Well, you're not getting a paycheck anymore, right? So you have to replace that paycheck. And you also want to keep in mind that there are some unexpected expenses that will pop up in retirement. Things like roofs need to be replaced, water heaters need to be replaced, maybe you need to get a new car, and healthcare. Healthcare is a huge expense in retirement. So we want to plan for those things ahead of time and manage them. One of the things that I work with families on is something called a sustainable withdrawal amount. That's around 4% of your nesting annually. So you want to take that 4% and recreate yourself the paycheck where you are paying yourself. Challenges in the first 10 years of retirement. The second would be balancing growth and income. And again, like you pointed out, you're the paycheck provider now and you're doing that via your savings and your investing. Yeah, this part is huge and it's often overlooked by retirees because they're saying to themselves, okay, I'm not working anymore. I don't have a paycheck. I can't have any stock. And I'm like, well, you got to have stock to grow that portfolio for your 80th and 87th year, but you need to have some bonds and some cash to fund your lifestyle now. So it's truly a balance between those growth stock investments and those income producing bond investments. And it's a balance that you want to have. And need. And need. And it's really easy if you're doing it yourself to not do that one the best. So it'd be better to work with a professional like someone from the Annex team. And we know people. We do know people. We do. We're with Amy Bremer, CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Challenges you might encounter in the first 10 years of retirement. The third is a big one. We talk about it all the time. How to spend your time. And I'm very passionate about this one, Danny, because a lot of folks, especially Americans, when you go to a cocktail party, the first thing is say, you know, what's your name and what do you do? We define our personal selves by our jobs. And once that goes away, we sometimes lose a sense of self. So I really work with families at practice here in Annex to talk about their hobbies, talk about their children and grandchildren, talk about travel or even starting a business, something that to keep you busy in retirement, because retirement's a long time, 20, 30 years for most folks. You want to remember too that Retirement is front end loaded, where you're going to spend a lot more money and time on those hobbies and traveling, checking off those lists on that bucket list, those items. And then after that, things kind of wane off. You've you've checked off all your lists. People between 65 and 74 have almost seven hours of leisure time a day. And it's not even leisure if you're really staying busy, but you got to fill that up. What might you encounter in the first 10 years of retirement? Number four, planning for large purchases. You talked a little bit about that earlier. A little bit. Things like Cars, those are big ones. And cars, gosh, cars are so expensive right now. We talked about helping a kid or a grandchild with wedding expenses, things unexpected. How do you plan for that? So it's really important to work with a certified financial planner like someone from the Annex team. We have really sophisticated software that we can run through those scenarios to let you know if what you're considering is feasible. I'll give you a real life example. A current client of mine came to me and said, we want to build a house. Can we do that? Sure enough, we ran through the plan. They had all their details, their building expenses, interest rate expenses for the mortgage. And yeah, they can afford to do it. And they were like, really? Yeah, you can. So if there's power in working with a professional to help navigate those large purchases. There's a long list of challenges you might encounter in the first 10 years of retirement. And we saved this one for last. And I apologize. Mm -hmm. Managing taxes. Taxes. Death and taxes. Always so important, right? 
So there's a few things that you need to consider in retirement, things like Roth conversions. Should you? Could you? Another thing to consider is when to start taking social security benefits. That's a really easy one to trip up. So we help families make those decisions. And then the bigger one too is when and how to take money out of your IRA and Roth IRA accounts, essentially creating that paycheck for yourself. There's certain things that people who do it on their own get tripped up on. They don't know that social security is taxable. And depending on your income from other sources, your combined tax rates between you and your spouse, if you make over $44,000, 85% of your social security is taxable. So there's some potholes there that you have to navigate that's easier to do if you have someone like a certified financial planner on the Annex team. So folks, if you're going to parachute into the wild jungle of retirement without a plan, the chances are you're going to wrestle with these challenges more than you should. Work with a fee-only fiduciary. Work with Annex Wealth Management. We'd love to help. Amy Bremer, Wealth Manager and a CFP with Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Always my pleasure, Danny. Before we go to break, reminder, Navigating the Markets, our next presentations are up Tuesday, Madison, Thursday, Brookfield at the Sharon Lynn Wilson Center. All the details at AnnexWealth.com slash events. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? I'm Danny Clayton, joined by Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Recently, you and I had a conversation on the show about private equity and its impact or potential Mm -hmm. for clients of Annex Private Client. The one text that I got was the greatest, which was, nice segment, tell me more. I thought that was pretty good, and I thought we, we could do that here. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. It's a great topic. You as a professor, amongst all the other hats that you wear, will take us to school on this. For Annex Private Clients, they often come in with questions about private equity. What exactly is it? How does it differ from other forms of investment? Sure. So private equity is about investing in private businesses as opposed to public businesses. Publicly traded companies, their stock trades on the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, these different exchanges. You see them on CNBC and all that. Uh, That's only 10% of the businesses that are out there. The rest are privately held. So private equity is really about investing in these private businesses. And oftentimes it's through a private equity fund where you have what are called general partners that go in and they will actually not just provide funding to businesses, but also advice and guidance. So it's a little bit more actively involved. As an investor, you don't necessarily participate in that if you're going through one of these funds, but you're investing with a private equity firm that will go in, provide financing and advice and guidance to these smaller businesses. You and I are both a fan of the show, Silicon Valley. Yes. And that's where I got a lot of my quote learning about this is because they were constantly going through funding, series funding. Yes. Is that the best way to raise money for in situations like this? Sure. You know, it's interesting that show I thought was very well done as far as the details around the life cycle of a business. Business. And they actually did bring on experts in order to provide advice as to how they should write it to make sure that it was somewhat true. I mean, it's obviously a lot of hyperbole and other things, but it was actually fairly accurate. Businesses, when they start off, oftentimes it's going to be bootstrapped by the entrepreneur. You start up the business, you fund it from your own savings, or you go to what's sometimes called the bank of friends and family, mm-hmm. which is where you tap friends and family in order to help invest in it. Or you might go to a bank for a loan, use your credit cards. But when you exhaust those options, then private equity might become a way for those companies to raise additional financing. What you talked about early stages, 
different companies can be at different points in their life cycle. Are there different types of PE that come in at those different times? There are, and there are PE firms that specialize in different sectors and at different points along the life cycle of a firm. So the main ones, as far as the life cycle, you have venture capital, you have growth capital, buyout, and then you can also have what's called the distressed area, where if you think about the life cycle from birth to death, there are different firms that invest along that entire life cycle. There are large investment firms that that jump in on on private equity. How about individuals? And in the case of Annex Private Clients, Mm -hmm. it's a big buy-in. A lot of clients are really interested in it. And so the way that we oftentimes will work with them is try to find out what are their financial goals and then find the best vehicle and opportunity for them. Most private equity firms, they have what are called drawdown strategies where you commit a bunch of money and then they sort of call it in periodically to invest in these companies over time. We tend to like more what are called perpetual strategies where the money can get put to work right away in a diversified pool of these privately held companies. So sometimes the private equity funds, they might be very concentrated in specific companies or specific sectors. We seek a little bit more diversification for our clients. Is this an investment that goes on or are people looking for an eventual point when they will exit? Yeah, the exit uh, for the PE firms, so the private equity firms, is often in the form of, you know, they kind of nurture, they grow this company to a certain point where it might go public where it could actually become a publicly traded company. You can see an initial public offering. Or more often than not, because of all the regulatory issues around being a publicly traded company, they will actually just sell the firm to another private equity firm or to a strategic buyer. So a strategic buyer would be, just as an example, would be like imagine if Google or Alphabet, if they decided that there was some small company with an awesome technology, then they would actually purchase it. And they've done that. And they have done that a number of times. And somebody's been fueling that smaller company to that point when they can get purchased. Exactly. Yep. So sometimes the private equity firms, they will grow them from an infant to that point of maturity where they can be sold off. And those can be pretty big payoffs, but it takes a lot of time. People will call this private equity, they'll call this PE, that'll that'll come in the news quite a bit. And it is a potential for clients of Annex Private Client. Yes, within the private client group, we work with clients in order to find out whether or not it does suit their needs because there are a lot of risks around it as far as your money is locked up for a long time. And let's face it, for every company that does really well, there are a number of companies that don't. (laughs) They go bankrupt. Recently, we did a deep dive on this. This is a deeper dive. Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, if you are a client of Annex Wealth Management, number one, we want to thank you. Please don't keep us a secret. If you are a do-it-yourselfer, let us help get you across the finish line. If you're with somebody else, there's no harm in getting a second opinion on your plan. No matter what, it only takes a couple of minutes to get that conversation started. Click the Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. See you next weekend. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.